0: Hello and welcome to Liver Talk, a podcast series from Liverwell that shares personal and professional stories about hepatitis and liver-related news. Before we commence, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land wherever you are listening. We pay our respect to the elders, past, present and emerging, and to any Indigenous people who are listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, Thomas. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: My name's Thomas Two, and by trade, I'm a scientist uh, specializing in uh, molecular biology research of, of hepatitis B. And I currently lead a group um, at the Westmead Institute for Medical Research in Sydney. And, and we focus on how hepatitis establishes a chronic infection. So we, we try to find out how the virus stays in the liver, so we can make drugs to reverse it and, and hopefully cure the infection. Um, and, and that's the simplest way to simplest way to to uh, stop liver disease associated with hepatitis B. And and the other focus of the group is how the, the virus causes cancer. So if we can stop if we can if we can't find a way to clear the virus, at least we can hope to to stop cancer from happening. And that's important because. Even if we're on daily treatment that, that you know, stops or, or even reverses liver fibrosis, that, that risk of, of liver cancer is still there. And and I've got other roles in, in this sort of space. I'm the president of the Australian Center for Hepatitis Virology, and that's the national organization for molecular scientists who are who are studying hepatitis, uh, viral hepatitis. I'm also on the board of, of Hepatitis Australia, where we advocate for those living with viral hepatitis in Australia to, to governmental bodies. I'm also the founder of uh, hepatitis, uh, hepbcommunity.org, which is an online forum uh, for people affected by hepatitis B. And and it's there to connect people to each other and also to, to experts in the sector. And finally, I also live with with hepatitis B myself. So I first got Uh, a diagnostic blood test because my family comes from um, a high prevalence country, namely Vietnam, where where chronic hepatitis B affects about 20% of the population. And and in countries such as these with with such high levels, people usually get it uh, from little scratches during childhood or during birth if they're not vaccinated. So after that initial shock of, of being diagnosed at 14 you know i felt alone I, I didn't really have a chance to talk about it and instead you have this shame and embarrassment about hepatitis b and and you sort of learn to shove it away but it sometimes comes back whenever you for example interact with the child knowing you you have the potential to to infect them so so that it's got that scary anxiety driven part so you know, whenever you get a pain in your side and, and you have to worry about it being liver cancer. The thing is that there, there weren't really any readily accessible support groups for me uh, that that I could see. And even if there were, I'd probably be too socially awkward to join them in person anyway. So what I did mostly uh, after I was diagnosed uh, was, was basically push it away. And, and it And it stayed that way until, Uh, university when I was trying to figure out what to do Um, and I realized the university that I I was going to which was the University of Adelaide that that university had one of the only major groups studying hepatitis B at the time and I thought wow oh uh, I could probably do something to to I guess help myself and so I was from second year on with sort of focused to, to get into that lab and even though you know uh, infection and immunity was one of my, my worst subjects I ended up getting into there anyway and I guess the rest is history I'm, I'm, I'm a scientist now and have been for those last 14 years
0: and doing some phenomenal research <laughs> um, I guess I'd love to delve into a little bit of your research, if, if that's okay, um, yeah. and you to talk about that.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, so what have been your key findings to date?
1: Yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, we look at uh, different forms of the virus, uh, the, the, the The reason why the virus stays in the body. Um, and And my research, sort of focuses on on two particular forms of the virus. One is a form that integrates into the host genome. So the virus can sometimes put its own DNA into our DNA. And that's a problem because that that insertion of that piece of DNA is, is associated with liver cancer. And so for the longest time we had, Assume that that occurs much later in, in life because it was only uh, sort of associated with liver cancer, and that only occurs when you're, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old after a, a lifetime of, of infection with hepatitis B. And it's because all of our assays to sort of detect that integrated form were so weren't very sensitive. So, so all we could see was. The the late stages when it becomes uh, uh, quite common in the liver. So in my work, what, what I discovered is that that integration event occurs actually quite early on. In fact, before the virus is expressed. So the virus coming in can integrate straight away in in you know, one in a thousand, one in ten thousand cells. So it occurs quite rarely, but so that was a surprising sort of finding is that it, you can't, it's not a, a symptom of something that occurs later on, but it occurs exactly when you're infected. And, and so that may carry that cancer risk already when, when you're initially infected. So um, we've got to find ways at mitigating that at the moment. And so that, that's been the, the major finding so far. What we're also looking at is a, a form called CCC DNA, uh, covalently closed circular DNA. And it's a bit of a mouthful, but basically what it is, is a piece of DNA that's really important in, in the liver to keep producing more virus. And if we're going to cure hepatitis B, we need to take care and and get rid of CCC DNA. So it's basically the major uh, focus of the entire field at the moment. And so I've developed an assay that can detect it really precisely and and really sensitively. And and we've been using uh, cell culture techniques to find out actually how stable is this piece of of DNA, because that's really important to know. one, how stable it is, and two, how we can destabilize it. And so what we found was, uh, you know, it's incredibly stable. It's, it will stay in the liver cell as long as it's a liver cell. It's not, it's not constantly being replaced, and that has uh, life ramifications in how we approach uh, cures and, and cure research uh, that's happening at the moment.
0: Which is incredibly fascinating. Um, I guess a message of, of hope and a message of wonderful science and progress. Yeah, um, definitely.
1: I, I mean, um, we haven't been as close to a cure as, as you know, in the entire history. The, the field has really picked up um, because of these new uh, assays and new systems that are available to us. Um, and, and I'm really optimistic that, you know, within five or 10 years, we'll have something that at least for a subset of people, will be able to induce some sort of cure, uh, some sort of, induce some sort of state in patients where we don't have to um, take daily medication, where we, we would be made stable after a, a course of, of uh, medication. And so I think that that would make a, make a huge impact on, on people's lives, the affected communities um, um, all around the world.
0: Absolutely. And that, that was gonna be my next, my next question. How has your research impacted communities? Uh, it really sounds like the impact is yet to happen. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, 15 years might sound like a long time, but it's really not much time for molecular work of this sort of state to be translated because it it really is about the fundamental understanding of how um, the virus stays in in the liver. Um, And that's really important to know so that we can more effectively uh, uh, target the virus. So that that gets built into oh, now we can we, we know exactly what mechanisms or what steps in the virus life cycle need to be targeted so that we can induce a cure more much more effectively. Um, and, and so in the long run it, it saves a lot of time rather than throwing everything at it without any understanding of of how the virus stays in the liver, but also how it causes disease. And so those two things need to be understood um, um, for any to really be effective. In terms of other other impacts, um, I mean, me showing that these integrated forms are happening earlier on, these these cancer-related forms are uh, happening earlier on, that may feed into what we consider in terms of uh, treatment guidelines for example i mean if if these cancer related forms are, are already there we may want to mitigate their, their expansion or or um, uh, them getting more common by treating earlier for example and and so that that conversation is happening with all the considerations of of um, um this fundamental molecular work as well
0: which is just so hopeful it really is it's 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 such a, a huge step and it's so hopeful can we talk a little bit about hepbcommunity.org yeah um, um I'd
1: love yes.
0: to know what inspired you to found it I'm- so i guess it
1: it comes back to that feeling alone when i was just diagnosed and not having anyone to really talk about it it was a sort of feeling that that you couldn't talk about it because i mean it's seen in in society as this std or, or or something and and something that's shameful and i guess that that really surprised me when when you look online and you see 300 million people around the world have it. Huge, huge numbers of people. Why do I feel so alone at the same time? It, it's really um, that contrast was really, uh, uh, I guess, surprising to me. And, and sort of that, that lack of discussion and support can, can directly affect health outcomes, right? if you can't talk about it, there's there's much less chance that you'll go off and and do something about it. And that's a real problem with hepatitis B because it can be asymptomatic for such a long time. Meanwhile, your your liver can be damaged during that time. And by the time you have uh, sort of symptoms, it can be too late. So it's better early on to, to keep being monitored, for example. And, and keep in touch with people to, you know, mitigate a lot of these feelings and, and anxieties and, and, you know, those, those psychosocial impacts that occur. I, I also felt that, I mean, it, it was really hard to get accurate advice uh, about hepatitis B. I mean, if you search for hep B on, online, you get a million pages on google I, I mean which ones are trustworthy which ones are crap which ones are trying to just sell you expensive pills uh, uh that don't have any effect at all you know it's really hard to know as an outsider with with no knowledge you know i might find some good information but i'm also likely to stumble on you know unproven remedies that that don't work or even worse ruin my liver mm. and you know, those millions of pages can be quite overwhelming. And I then just might switch off. Right. And I went through all of these feelings and I'm sure other people out there do as well. And so even when I looked a couple of years ago, there, there weren't any real support groups that, that I could find easily. So I was fed up with this and, and saw a need. And, and so I just started one up myself called happy uh, And Because of my position as a scientist and, you know, knowing a lot of clinicians as well, I've pulled them in um, uh, as, you know, this is completely volunteer run and and completely volunteer service, um, but this half a dozen people are answering people's questions 24-7 as a completely free service and so we've now supported about 500 people on the site um, in this past year with about uh, 2,000 posts and you know 100 maybe um, 200,000 page views so it's really highly active and, and accessed often And one of our immediate goals now is to sort of spread awareness of this community and and help more people out during that really vulnerable time that they've just been diagnosed and and seeking more information, advice, um, and experience that they can trust. And and because there's such a a large community there already, people there have been through the same sort of things as you. Um, And so that's really comforting and, and, it's good to know that other people out there have have been feeling the same thing. And and that I think is, is the major benefit to this community. It's the community of people who, who also do have hepatitis B that you can chat to, you can talk about, you know, how do you live with that anxiety? How do you live with the stress of waiting for, for lab results, All of that sort of thing. So so I'd encourage anyone listening who has Hep B or knows someone with Hep B or wants to just find out more about Hep B to to visit um, us and and sort of get involved. It's it's completely free. And um, yeah, you don't have to release your name or anything. So it can be anonymous as well.
0: Really accessible. And the website for anyone who's listening is hepbcommunity.org which is um, something that I I really encourage people to check out. Final question. What do you wish people knew about hepatitis B?
1: Oh, um, so many (laughs) things, but
0: um, I mean, (laughs)
1: uh, not everyone has time to do a PhD in in (laughs) hepatitis B. I think, one of the main things is that hep B shouldn't be something to be ashamed of. You know, people get this due to no fault of their own when they were just children. I don't think it's fair to judge people based on their health condition that they, that they just don't have any control over. Yeah. Um, one other thing is that, you know, there's a major myth or misconception, particularly when you're, you're just diagnosed, is like hep B is the end of the world for someone. That's for the majority of people with Hep B, they can live completely normal lives apart from you know half yearly monitoring, and and while that can be a burden for two days uh, from of of every year, and I I understand that, that there are real barriers to this. People can live with it. You can live with it. I don't like the concept that something that that Hep B is something you're cursed with or or something you survive, but but you just need some simple management and simple monitoring to make sure it doesn't get out of hand, that you know that uh, you can do something to to mitigate a a lot of problems down the track. But I guess the biggest thing I want the affected community to know is, you know, they're not alone. 300 million people around the world also have HPI and, and, Going through a lot of the same things you are. So I, I hope you um, come join us on hepbeacommunity.org and, and um, we can really show that to people, I think.
0: Well, this has been an incredibly inspiring and hopeful discussion. I'm very, very grateful for your time and for your expertise and for your lift experience story. You're a man of many talents. <laughs> Thank you uh, so Thanks, much. Chloe.
1: No, it was, it was great. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Liver Talk. For information, visit our website at liverwell.org.au or call the Liver Line on 1800 703 003.